Hi, this is Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church in Beverly, Mass. I pray that you are enriched and encouraged as you press on towards the cause of Christ. Reading out of Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, it says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me to stress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this, I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. Would we pray for just a minute? Father, in the name of the matchless Son of God, Christ Jesus, do something ridiculous in us today. Change us, transform us, because the most amazing thing that can happen is the human heart be transformed. We love you, we thank you, and everybody said amen. So what do you do when you face conflict? What's your attitude, what's your response? I have to be honest, most often it's not quite the righteous response. I'm not sure that when I'm offended, I respond the most, you know, most righteously. I always think of an old movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I actually sat and watched it uh, not too long ago because they would always look at each other and they'd say, righteous. It's a ridiculous movie, but um, time traveling phone booth. Uh, go check it out. But, uh, and they actually made part two of that. How about that? But I have to be honest, like when I have faced difficulty, like let's be real, what kind of difficulty am I really facing? Somebody cutting me off in traffic, you know, or, or a grocery line being too long. Come on, let's get petty for a second. When you face like your hardship, I'm not minimizing real hardship, but let's look at the average hardships that we face. Our average hardship is that the internet doesn't load fast enough or um, you know, our Insta feed you know, hasn't updated or we've, we've got a problem with a cell plan or like, let's look at our average hardships. Now, let's not negate the real difficulties. We got illness, we've got you know, people hurting themselves, self-harm, we have real hardships. I would never, I'm not demeaning those things, but let's look at some of the average hardships that we're facing. And I wanna look at the minimal hardships. You know why? Because if you can't respond righteously to the minimal difficulties, do you really think you're gonna be able to respond in a righteous, godly manner when you face the real traumas and difficulties of life? And so I look at my everyday obstacles as opportunity to grow so that when the storms of life come, maybe, just maybe, I will have built up enough strength to be able to begin to respond to the larger tragedies in life. I'm not there. I'm not there. I lose, I lose it at long grocery lines. You know what I really lose it? I lose it when I put my credit card in to the cash register just a little bit too soon and then the cash register lady says, oh, no, take your card back out. We're not ready. And I'm like, come on. It, it should work. I'm finding I lack the ability to respond in a righteous manner in some of the most common life circumstances. 
So let's look at a guy like Paul right now. Paul's in prison. Paul is, at this season of his life, pretty much convinced that he's probably not getting out. This season of his life is inching him towards, towards his inevitable death. This is Paul's 10th letter. It was written while he was in house arrest uh, around 55 to 62 AD. Um, and Paul wrote this with the intention of directing and teaching and instructing pastors and leaders and deacons, leaders of the church. The intention to the Philippians really centers around the lordship of Christ. He wants us to understand that with Christ front and center, you'll not only live as an effective witness, but you can actually thrive in your situation. You can actually thrive in your trauma. You can actually thrive because Christ is ever before us. Christ should be ever before you. The problem that so many of us face is Christ is a history, a bookmark in pages gone by. Your altar experience, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I had an encounter or I had an experience with Jesus one time in the past. Yeah, I, I answered to an altar call one time. And you see, without Christ front and ever before you, then you have nothing to strive for. Paul says, I press on, I run the race, I press on, I'm moving forward. When your Christian experience, when your Christianity is something that's just a part of your life, at one point you went to camp or you went to a youth group, you attended something, then what you've done is you've taken Christ, you've taken the core of our faith, of your faith, and you made it to something that happened one time. Then you don't have anything to ground and center you when difficulty of life comes because you've got nothing to press on towards. But when you make Christ your prize and your goal, when he is strictly at the center of your being and who you are, then when difficulty comes, you keep your eyes on the prize. Uh, my, my father told me something one time, and uh, this is probably among the top 10 best pieces of advice I've ever been given. He said, son, when you find yourself a married man and uh, you know, you're working and you've got kids and you've got life happening, I want you to imagine that you're on a ship. And I want you to imagine that that ship is in a storm and it's, it's tossing to and fro and it's the, the, the waves are battering the ship. I just want you to envision that you're at the wheel because that's where you're supposed to be. I want you to just imagine there's a lighthouse and you keep your eyes on that lighthouse. And, and even though everybody's going crazy and the crew is trying to jump overboard, just, just, just steady the wheel. Just keep moving towards the lighthouse, moving towards the lighthouse. You see, whatever is before you can inspire you to be able to keep pushing on, to keep pressing on. So when you believe that the only thing in front of you is difficulty and sickness and hardship and you wake up every day and you go, oh no, not another day. Oh no, not a problem. If what is before you is only problem, there's no hope, there's no victory. And as you press on, you're not gonna wanna press on. Who wants to get up and press on towards a problem? No, but if you put Christ front and center, then you're pressing on towards a prize. Paul is trying to instruct us, here is how Godliness. Here's how righteousness responds to, to life's difficulties. Let's look at a couple of things real quick here. Because in, in the Bible, you'll essentially run into two types of righteousness. You know, what, what is righteousness, first of all? Well, first of all, righteousness is the act of doing what is right. It's pretty simple. This would fall under a category of what's called corum uh, mundo. This is worldly righteousness. It is possible for you to have an opinion of some other person say, that's a, that's a righteous person. They do the right thing. They, 
That's a good person. Uh, on human standard, on human level, we can look across and we say, that's a good person. You know, they pay their taxes, they show up, they take care of their kids, they take care of their family, uh, loves their mom, they high five the mailman. That's a good person. That's a righteous person. They seem to do what is right. They've never been in prison um, doing the right thing. Righteousness in the eyes of the world. The, the problem with this is righteousness in the eyes of the world is, is a moving target because it's, it's based on what is right in the moment. You realize what is right right now was not always right and what was right back then might not seem to be right right now. Anybody watch any old cartoons? I used to love watching the old Looney Tunes. If you try watching some of those Looney Tunes now, well, <laughs> Yeah, people might think you're a hater. Uh, they might call you racist. They might call you all sorts of things because what was right then is not necessarily culturally appropriate or right right now. So worldly righteous is on a sliding scale. What's right for me might not be right for you. What's the problem with that? When righteousness and the standard of doing what is right is constantly moving, what are you grounded in? Where is it being inspired from? It's difficult to be a right person at the core and at the center when the righteousness, the right activities are originating from opinion. You follow me? If, if what I'm doing is only based on popularity, then at the core of who I am, I'm not going to be a right person I'm just gonna be a right puppet. I'm just gonna be the kind of person that does what is right for the moment to appease others, but I'm not grounded. And if I begin to recognize that what is right for me is based on opinion, then I gotta recognize that what's right for somebody else is also based on opinion. And so it, what we really have going on here is we have a brew of people trying to appease each other's opinions. We, we need a higher standard. There's a second type of righteousness that we'll find in the Bible. It's called Coram Dale, righteousness in the eyes of God. God's righteousness is based on no human standard. It's based on the personality, the core of who God is. God is perfect. And to offset this, we see in Romans 3, 9, it says nobody is righteous according to God's standard. Isaiah 54, 19, there's a promise that Israel would be restored and that the righteousness of God would then rest upon man. See, in order for you and I to be righteous, truly righteous, to really do what is right and act right and live right and respond right, our target must be Jesus. And through his spirit, we must, must live under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in order for us to even begin to move towards that target. In fact, we need to let the Spirit move us towards that target. It's not enough to try to live according to Christians' principles. We have to live according to the power of God's word and the power that lives in us will move us far past anything ever. You know, when you hear God's standards, be perfect as I am perfect, none is righteous, it can feel like, whoa, how in the world am I supposed to live out a Christian faith, a Christianity? I can't do it. 
you're in the right spot. You're in the sweet spot. The sweet spot says, I can't do this because in me, I can do nothing. But through Christ, I can do all things because he gives me strength. Now, it's not about me being perfect, but it's about me recognizing my imperfection and allowing Christ to occupy those areas. When I look in my life, I say, God, I'm not patient enough waiting for my microwave to go off. I need patience. I'm not patient enough waiting in the grocery line. I'm not patient enough in life. This is, I need you to occupy this area of my life, this lack of patience. This is where I need your spirit to dwell. I want you to have all of me, but my deficiencies help me acknowledge and recognize where I need your occupancy. How would you respond if you were locked up for your faith? Not because you did something wrong, not because you went out and you hurt anybody. Just how would you respond to your guards and to your prison mates and to everybody around you? How would you respond if you were wrongfully accused because you were doing what you believe God called you to do? How many of you at your jobs, maybe your jobs have, have asked you to do or act and the repercussions of you not doing that is gonna lead to you being ostracized or critiqued or maybe even losing your job. Has anybody faced that challenge? What about in school? Maybe, maybe see you at the poll, uh, day of prayer at school, carrying your Bible, saying your prayers before lunch. We're not looking for poor treatment. We're, we're concerned that we're gonna be mistreated. And so we become shy. We don't wanna do these things. So I wanna look at about seven different areas where Paul, in difficult circumstances, responds in a righteous manner. Let's read verse 12 real quick here. It says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Can I tell you that when you find yourself in a challenging season of life, when you find yourself going through difficulty, the righteousness, the, the righteousness of God recognizes opportunity. Can you look at your challenge that you're getting ready to face or challenges that you're in? Do you, do you recognize that the challenges are there in your life to illuminate possibility? They're there to recognize opportunity, not for what you can do, but for what God can do for you, through you, and in you. That God's not there to serve you. God is there to make his glory be seen. God is there to demonstrate his power. God is constantly working to demonstrate who he is. God of gods, king of kings, lord of lords. Let me give you an example. The Old Testament, Moses standing before Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may go and worship God. The whole journey of Israel coming out of the wilderness was for God to establish his holiness, to establish his set-apartness. He wants the nation to recognize, I'm not like any other God. I'm far beyond the gods of Egypt. I'm far beyond any gods. Isaiah tells us that God is above all gods. Compared to him, there are no other gods. What we're saying and what we're recognizing is that God wants to use your situation to demonstrate his power that he might receive glory. Righteousness always recognizes opportunity. And for Paul, in this instance, it's specifically for a furtherance of the gospel, for the furtherance of telling the good news. Is it possible that you're going through a challenge right now, but the end result of this is being able to tell good news, tell a good story, not just a story, but a great witness, one that would compel people, that you would be able to look at people and say, listen, there was a season of my life when I remember I was popping my anti-anxiety meds and I would get home and I'd curl up in a little ball and on my couch and that season of my life was, was terrifying and I thought I was losing my mind and 
and I thought I was losing touch with reality. And I can tell you that addiction was controlling my life. But let me tell you, through that season, God brought me out. And what was meant to end me has given me more strength and more resolve. The, the devil intended for evil in my life, God has flipped it around, and now I declare from the mountaintops. I tell people from the mountaintops that, that what was meant to end me has become victory, and it has become a flag and a banner that God is still in the business of delivering and healing people, and what he did for me, he can do for you. Righteousness recognizes opportunity. Now we get to verse 13, and it says, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. What are you talking about, Paul? You're in jail. Let me tell you something. If I was in jail, I don't want anybody to know about that. It carries shame. I don't want my mugshot going up. In the South, they've got this newspaper every single week, and they, 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 they stamp everybody's face on it, depending on what county you're in. If you've been arrested for a DUI or any crime, they're going to make it known. They're going to put it on that newspaper. They're going to broadcast it on the Internet. They want everybody to know that you're in jail, that you're in prison, that you've been arrested. Everybody get, get the dirty news out there so that you can be shamed. Can I tell you, though, that righteousness carries no shame. Paul is recognizing that everybody knows I'm in prison from the lowest of the low all the way up to the highest guards. They all know because it is in doing what is right that we can find the consolation. I don't find my consolation in the response of other people. Yeah, I want an applause. Yeah, I want people to like me. But I know that there's going to be times when righteousness calls for me to act out of character. There's going to be times when righteousness calls me to behave just a little bit undignified. There's going to be a time when righteousness, the righteous standard of God doing what is right in the eyes of God cuts through the current of the culture and it, and it doesn't look the same and it doesn't feel the same. And, but righteousness in doing it, while you may receive repercussions, it carries no shame. Paul recognizes I'm in prison for the cause of Christ. I'm not ashamed of this. Do you find shame in your faith? Do you find yourself a little bit embarrassed? Uh, I want to tell you right now, don't feel shame in the fact that you may feel shame. This is an area of opportunity. God can empower and embolden you so that you can carry the message. You can carry it strong. You can wear it strong, loud, and proud. Righteousness carries no shame. We get to verse 14 and it says, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Oh, you're gonna like this because righteousness carries strength. How is it that so many martyrs have been able to willingly step up to the, the nooses and sacrifice their bodies to the flame? How is it that so many have been willingly fed to lions I visited the Colosseums in Israel. I stood on the ground with the blood of many martyrs, may have very well soaked the ground beneath my feet. When I have to look around, I have to think, God, would I, would I have the strength in a moment like that? Could I commit my life to such a great cause? Could I willingly lay my life down? Oh God, would you give me the grace of a martyr? Should I ever be challenged to such an extreme. But I believe that righteousness, it carries strength. 
Righteousness of Christ grants us courage and boldness. Be bold in your faith. Be courageous in your faith. God commanded Joshua, be bold and courageous. And I believe he would command you today, be bold, be courageous. Embrace the righteousness of God. Let the righteousness work through you through the power of the Holy Spirit and let it demonstrate itself as courage and boldness. When we arrive at verse 15, it says, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. Do you realize that righteousness discloses motives? You see, when the righteousness of God is your target, when the righteousness of the Father becomes your goal, then you're gonna find that there's very little room for your will. Everybody can pray that will be done until it begins to cost them their will. Everybody can say, Father, have your way until it begins to cost you your way. Everybody can say, Father, give me your dreams and, and, and give me passion until it begins to cost you your dreams and your passions. But when righteousness is ever before you, when that becomes your goal, then the boldness and the opportunity and the lack of shame becomes a reward for giving up what you have to go after what God wants, not just for you, but what he wants to do through you for the benefit of others and for the glory of Christ. Are you serving Christ for your own gain? Or are you serving Christ for kingdom gain? When we arrive at verse 16, Paul tells us that the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for a defense of the gospel. The latter do it out of love. Can I tell you that righteousness will always respond in love? Oh, this isn't an easy one. Because we're looking at things that are not within human capability. There are things that are not within your ability to do. There are Challenges I see, gauntlets dropped in the Bible of men and women who are facing treacherous challenges yet somehow find a way to respond in love, find a way to respond in grace, find a way to move themselves out of the way where it's truly God at work through them and in them. When you look at Stephen in Acts being stoned, it says his face looked like an angel. This isn't a work of man. This is a work of God through a man. This is a work of God in a man. There is no greater prize, there is no greater reward than to truly know that I'm out of the way and he is occupying and using me. Is there really any other greater reward? Righteousness always responds in love. Unrighteousness, man, that pushes us away from love. When I arrive at verse 17, it says, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me to stress in my imprisonment. I like what Paul says, you guys are thinking you're causing me to stress. I'm doing what's right and you guys are responding this way because righteousness will always invite persecution. When you do what is right, people will not always respond in a right way. When you do what is right, I can promise you, you were gonna face those that are ready to throw stones at you, to tell you every up, down, left, right way you're doing it wrong, but you know that you're doing something that pleases the Father. Can you keep the course? Would you hold righteousness ever before you so that when you face the challenge and the difficulty, you know where you're navigating, you're behind the wheel facing towards that lighthouse, you're striving, pressing on towards the prize. Let me tell you, the righteous response keeps moving even at the cost of everything. When you do what's right, people will not always respond right. But here's how Paul closes this portion. He says, what then? 
They're like that. What's up? What then? Huh? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, whether in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. Yeah, I will rejoice. Paul says, What's, what then? Yeah, righteousness is going to rejoice. But listen, whether you meant to do it, whether you were going to do it, whether, you, whether your heart was in the right place or in the wrong place, I'm not focused on what you're doing in as much as how I'm going to respond to what's going on. Can I tell you something? You have no control over the people around you. Did you realize that? You can, you can influence a heart. You might be able to sway a heart. You can never change a heart. That, that's, a, that's a work that God does. You are responsible for you. You are responsible for how you respond to injustice and, and, and how you are to respond to unrighteousness and mistreatment. You, you have a duty to be the one to react. You, you're not going to be always the one originating the response. You can't control another person. Has anybody ever told you that? Did your mama tell you that when you were a kid? You can't control the other person? You're only responsible for you? Yeah, I was told that a lot. I am the one that has to make the choice on how I'm going to respond to the things around me. And without unrighteous reactions, I would never be given the opportunity to respond in a righteous manner. Everybody wants to know why is there bad things that happen in the world? It's not always the right question. I'm more curious as why is there always bad responses to the things that happen in the world? No, I know we're going to rally and we're going to set laws. And I know that when there's been these mass shootings or there's been or when there's been natural disasters. OK, these are bad things. Yes, we've got to respond in the right way. But the deeper question I want to know is why is there a tide of continual unrighteous response? Where are the righteous ones? Where are the ones that will stand up and say in the face of conflict? In the face of turmoil, in the face of struggle, I will stand my ground. I will be a beacon, a pillar, demonstrating the power and the presence of God in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the struggle. We've been called to be pillars, men and women empowered by the spirit to stand in the middle of the problem, in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the arena, surrounded by the lions, surrounded by the pain, surrounded by sickness, we, our lives are being offered up as a fragrant sacrifice to God so that they will know the greatness of our God. These aren't easy things. I don't respond to difficulty in righteous ways so often. I'm given to emotions or I got my own crusade going on. I can tell you how many times I look in the mirror and I, I have these arguments of how I want to respond to something, but these things often are not based on the cause of Christ. They're based on the cause of me. What would it be like if in all these things, all the challenge, what would your life look like if you began to ask, what would this look like with Jesus in it? Yeah, I'm not talking about, the, oh, what would Jesus do bracelets? I want, I, want, I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you to begin to ask, what would this circumstance look like with Christ standing in the middle of it? What would your family conflict look like with Christ standing right there? Would you be punching holes in the walls and threatening people? What would it look like if you punched out on your Friday at five o'clock, got in your car with the intention of hitting the bar, but saw Christ Jesus sitting in your passenger seat? What would your life look like if the thing that was meant to destroy you, push you over the edge, create more stress, create more difficulty? What would it look like if all of a sudden it became Christ-centric? Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. Here's what you need to understand. 
You'll never have a righteous, a Christ-like response without Christ. Here's the good news. With Christ Jesus at the center, you can, you can take on all challenge. You can take on all difficulty. With Jesus at the center of it all, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you could hope, think, or imagine. Can we pray? Father, I pray for each person right now that's within the sound of my voice that would look at their life and say, you know what? I find that I am not often responding in a righteous manner. I'm responding like a person, flawed, emotional, and broken. But I'm so grateful that's the reason why you died for me. You didn't die for me because I was perfect. You died for me because I had no life. You died for me because just as I am with but one plea, except your blood be shed for me. That's who we are, Father. We are at the end of the spectrum needing your intervention, needing divine intervention in who we are and in all that we do. God, I pray for the one right now that knows they feel powerless. Every time they find themselves in a conflict or under some kind of a trauma, they respond, not just in an unrighteous way, but God, they feel like a loose cannon. They feel like they're broken. They feel like they've lost it all. They feel like they can't handle any more stress, any more problems in their life, but that's the one you died for, just like the one that can show up and present themselves very stoically and strong and, and can say, I got broad shoulders, I can take it, but the truth is it weighs us down, and the truth is we're not responding in the most righteous manner manner. Christ isn't seen. We need you to be seen. I invite you in in this moment to do a transformative work in my life and in the life of every hearer. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you that you live evermore to make intercession. What does that mean? It's that you stand there and you got our backs because you love us. And I pray that you begin to touch and transform hearts for your glory and for your honor in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I pray you were encouraged, enriched, and inspired to chase after God. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you take a minute and share it? Let's encourage each other with God's word. And remember, if you do not have a church to attend, we invite you to visit us at Garden City Church. We're located at 140 Bridge Street in Beverly, Massachusetts, and we meet in the Emmanuel Congregational Church building. If you need prayer or an encouragement, I invite you to email me at pastor at Garden City Church church.net or you can visit me online at aaronrios.com or any social media outlet hey till next time keep pressing on towards christ god bless you